welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series three, episode 14, and it's entitled Arguments About the Sabbath Day. The passage we're going to look at in this episode is in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 1 to 14. We'll be reading that in just a moment. But before we do that, let's just think of where we've been in the study just recently. The last two episodes, for those of you who've listened, were situated and based on an event in Jerusalem uh, when Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda, a man who'd been uh, an invalid for 38 years. And this provoked a considerable controversy uh, with the Jewish religious authorities and a long discussion in which Jesus made a long statement about who he was, what his mission was, what his relationship to his father was, and uh, spoke about the various different um, witnesses to him that were available to the religious leaders. That was the last two episodes, which covered material in John chapter 5. But the particular controversy that took place there in John chapter 5 was sparked off by the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And this created opposition and resistance from the religious leaders, and particularly when they noticed that the man who'd been healed was carrying his mat in the temple, the mat that he'd laid on for many years, on the Sabbath day, something that their tradition said was carrying a weight and doing work that shouldn't be done on the Sabbath day. So that was the two episodes that we've just looked at in Jerusalem. But we're now back in Galilee. We're back at the centre of Jesus's ministry. And we've seen in, in recent episodes uh, the immense popularity of Jesus, the huge number of miracles he'd performed, the vast crowds that came from far and wide from many different districts uh, and regions and nations. So his popularity is very considerable. But there is a rather sinister strand to the story, and that is an ever more decisive opposition from the religious leaders. They're now beginning to challenge him. Uh, there's been a controversy in Jerusalem surrounding that healing, which I've just mentioned as recorded in John chapter 5. But even before then, there were some signs of conflict developing. And this is going to become a very uh, clear conflict in this episode. It's all going to come very clearly to the surface. You will remember, if you've been with us on previous episodes, that when Jesus healed the leper, he uh, sent him to the priests in Jerusalem to verify the healing. That would have alerted them to Jesus's ministry. Uh, you'll remember me saying, probably, if you've heard the previous episodes, that uh, when Jesus healed the paralyzed man who was let down through the roof, there was a group of Pharisees and religious teachers there who had gathered from all sorts of different places and they were observing Jesus and they were trying to um, evaluate him. And then when we had uh, an episode, we were talking about the issue of fasting. Uh, both the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist were questioning Jesus about why his disciples didn't fast. And so there's been a number of controversies going on uh, with the authorities. And... One of the issues that is coming to the forefront in this controversy is this uh, sensitive and complex issue of the Jewish Sabbath day. Now, 
We've discussed this uh, several times already in earlier episodes, but I do want to repeat some of the essential points about this because uh, this issue is at the heart of this particular episode that we're talking about and the controversy and the challenge that the Pharisees brought to Jesus. Before I read the passage, just to remind you of the background. In the Jewish law, the centerpiece was the Ten Commandments, which are recorded for us twice in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the fourth commandment, as recorded in Exodus 20 verses 8 to 11, is about the Sabbath, and this is what it says. We need to remember this because this is the background to what's going to take place in the episode we're looking at. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the foundational command for the people of Israel. As I've mentioned in a previous episode, this pattern of working six days and resting one day probably originated with the Jewish people and has become a general pattern across all sorts of cultures in our world. And if it originated with the Jewish people, it originated with this commandment, which uh, set the Jews aside from people uh, in neighbouring societies, because the Sabbath commandment was something that you can actually see being worked out if you were travelling in Israel and you happened to be travelling on the Sabbath day. It felt completely different. Everyone was out of the fields, uh, they were not uh, cultivating, uh, they were not developing their agriculture, they weren't in their workshops, they weren't in their marketplaces, um, they weren't travelling on the road with marketing, with goods to be marketed, uh, they were at home, they were, they were, they were worshipping, they were with their families and they were resting. That was the general reality. Now, of course, not everyone obeyed this perfectly, but you could see a difference when you travelled in ancient Israel. And this Sabbath command was like a covenant sign. It was something public that demonstrated the relationship between God and Israel. So it was a very, very important issue. But you can see here the command is rather general. Just don't do any work. But what exactly do we mean by work? Because things still need to be done on the Sabbath day. Practical things need to be done. People need to eat. Children need to be looked after. Animals need to be fed and many other things. So what's a legitimate form of activity or work on the Sabbath day? And what's a legitimate form of travel on the Sabbath day? These were questions that exercised the minds of Jews for hundreds of years. And they gradually developed all sorts of rules and regulations and they got more and more complex as time went on. By the time of Jesus, it was a very, very complex set of rules that were basically defining what this law in Exodus 20 meant, 
trying to pin down the details so that nobody could make a mistake and do the wrong thing. And if they did the wrong thing, they could be criticized for it. Now, these rules and regulations weren't in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. They were in the traditions of the religious leaders. And one of the big issues that Jesus tackled all the way through his ministry was the distinction between what God had specifically said in the Old Testament, which he respected and obeyed, <clears throat> and the things that people had added in, which he did not respect and did not obey. And that's exactly what we're going to find happening in this episode today. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. There are two incidents described here. They're linked together. They probably happened on the same day. And that day was a Sabbath day. And it starts uh, with Jesus walking through the countryside with his uh, disciples. Matthew 12 verses 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. For if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Two stories, two situations, one theme, the Sabbath and the controversy over the Sabbath. So let's look at uh, this first story and let's set the context of this first story. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Jesus is in the countryside. He's walking along. His disciples are with him. And 
within a short distance are some Pharisees. Now let's just think about why all this is happening. Well, Jesus spent an awful lot of time walking from place to place because he's involved in a traveling ministry. He goes from town to town and village to village. We know that from earlier episodes, from earlier stories in the Gospels. He's going all the way around Galilee. So it's not surprising then that he's traveling from place to place and he's doing it on the Sabbath. Now, his disciples, when traveling with him, were hungry. Is that a surprise? It's not much of a surprise to me because Jesus' itinerary could be very punishing. There could be large crowds. There could be a lot of travel to go from place to place. We've seen examples of Jesus being under pressure with the crowds. And he might be walking quickly through the fields here to get away from one crowd and to get to another place. We don't know all the details. But the fact that they were hungry isn't a surprise. They're not just looking for a tiny little snack or something very small. They're actually hungry. They've been walking a long time. They've been traveling with Jesus. They've had a busy day and they might have a long way to go. So we should have some sympathy with the disciples. Uh, they were genuinely hungry. But what are the Pharisees doing? Why are they there? They're following him around. Wherever he goes, they're going with a purpose. We've already stated there's a controversy building up. There's accusation building up. There's been discussions in Jerusalem. There's been a recent incident in Jerusalem around the healing of the man, the invalid from the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, where there was a major debate between Jesus and the religious leaders. And he made some very strong statements to them about his identity and his mission and his purpose and his deity and his authority over life and death. So the agitation and concern amongst the religious leaders is quite high. They don't like what Jesus is doing. He's upsetting the status quo and they're looking for ways of accusing him. And one of the best ways of accusing Jesus is to accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. Now, this is something that would definitely reduce his reputation amongst the people because the people respected the law of Moses. It was the law of the nation, the law of the land. It was the law that governs the national life of Israel. And so Jesus was seen to be a lawbreaker. In that sense, um, his reputation could be shattered. And so that's really what they were aiming at. But as I said to you earlier on, they had in their minds not just what was written in the law of Moses, but their traditions, which they elevated to such an extent they said that they have the same authority there as God-given as the written laws. And Jesus, of course, denied that completely on many occasions. And he wouldn't accept any of these human traditions. It's actually quite a common thing in human society for us to develop rules and regulations about how we do things and then give them divine status and say they come from God. It's quite a common thing for us to do and that's exactly what they were doing there. Now what the Pharisees in particular were concerned about was that the disciples by plucking the grains of corn were breaking a law um, against harvesting. And this law 
was in Exodus uh, 34, verse 21. I'll read it quickly to you. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. That's just a further definition of the uh, fourth commandments in the Ten Commandments. She's basically saying, uh, don't get involved in agricultural labor, particularly even in harvest, when, of course, normally we w people want to work seven days a week because they want to get the harvest in quickly. But the law of Moses says, no, rest on the Sabbath, trust God and work hard on those six days. And so the Pharisees were accusing the disciples of harvesting the corn on the Sabbath, breaking this command. But this command is, of course, about um, general work, not about eating in order to deal with real hunger. So there isn't a real application of this law. They're not breaking the law of God. They're not breaking the law of Moses at all. They're not disobeying it. But what they are doing is disobeying the traditions, which defined it in, in much more detail and made lots of uh, prohibitions and things that, that you couldn't do. So as the accusation comes, Jesus himself uses some examples from the Old Testament to say that the law of Moses is more flexible than you think it is. For example, he mentions the time when David um, and his companions go to the priest, they're hungry, they're in need of food, and the only food available that the priest had in that particular story was consecrated bread, in other words, bread that was dedicated to God, could only be uh, used by the priests. That was the law. However, there was no law against the priest sharing that bread with other Israelites who were ceremonially clean. So Jesus describes an example of something which the Pharisees probably would disapprove of, but was written in the Old Testament, which isn't really breaking the law of Moses at all, because the law of Moses was more flexible than they were. And that's the point that he was making when he challenged them. So the conclusion to that first incident is that, no, the Old Testament law was not broken by Jesus or his disciples. It's only the religious traditions of the leaders that were being challenged. Now, the second incident takes place shortly afterwards on the Sabbath, when Jesus went to the synagogue and in the synagogue, in whichever place he was in, which isn't named, there was a man who had one arm that was not functioning properly. It was withered. The muscles uh, weren't functioning and it wasn't a fully usable arm. It's, it's a withered arm that he has. And the Pharisees provoke him. Jesus hasn't even done anything. But they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're basically saying, you're not allowed to do anything for this man. And Jesus, of course, does the opposite. He says, stretch out your hand and the man is healed. And he also points out to the Pharisees that they would take action to help somebody in need. They'd help action to take even an animal in need. Even if they had a sheep and it fell into a pit, they'd rescue it. That involves work. That involves effort. And Jesus is basically saying that doesn't disobey the law. Neither does doing good on the Sabbath and healing the sick disobey the law. So the man was 
completely healed. But this episode has a very sinister end. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, this is amazing. We're only in the first period of Jesus's ministry, maybe the first six months or the first year, and already the authorities are really turning against him. Can you see the strength of their opposition to him? And that is building up, and we've seen a gradual build-up of opposition over the last few episodes as different things have happened. So what can we learn from a passage like this? It might seem a little bit obscure to you that such a debate should be going on about various religious traditions and law. But it was very, very important at the time, and some very significant things are revealed through this passage. First of all, in Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus goes back to quoting an important um, phrase or statement from the Old Testament prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, where God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus says in verse 7, if you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now, we looked at this very closely when we saw that Jesus quoted the same passage at the time when Matthew became a disciple and during the celebration meal that Matthew called in his own house where lots of tax collectors and shady business dealers were gathering together and the Pharisees criticised him for socialising with them, uh, Jesus quoted this passage and said, you need to find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And we discovered at the time that God is more interested in right heart attitudes, particularly merciful attitudes towards other people, than he is in uh, doing the right thing in terms of religious rules and laws. We tend to put a lot of weight on those things and we admire people who show outward religious life. But Jesus said it's the inner life that really matters, what's going on in the heart. And God said through the prophet Hosea to the Israelites, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's not that sacrifice was unimportant, that religious duties are unimportant. It's that they don't have any real value unless something has changed within. And in this case, the change required was a merciful, gracious, kind attitude towards other people. The Pharisees lacked that merciful, kind and gracious attitude towards the disciples who were hungry. There was no compassion for their hunger. There was just looking through their traditions and finding a way of condemning them for their action, trying to pick them out as lawbreakers. Well, they, they failed to do that in terms of the law of Moses. But Jesus said their heart attitude wasn't right. So it's interesting that this passage is quoted twice from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's quoted twice by Jesus. And there are three different contexts. One is in Matthew 9, and two of them are here in Matthew 12. So what I want to do is put those three contexts together and see if we get a picture from this of what Jesus is trying to talk about. Jesus is encouraging a merciful attitude towards 
three different groups of people. In Matthew chapter 9, it's the tax collectors and sinners or the shady business dealers who were being criticized by the Pharisees. And Jesus said, you need to have a merciful attitude towards them. In other words, social outcasts. We need mercy and kindness towards social outcasts. Message number one from this verse. Message number two, we need mercy and kindness towards those with genuine physical needs like hunger. The hunger of the disciples is exactly what is in view. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They're hungry. We should be concerned that they have what they need. And thirdly, healing, mercy, not sacrifice towards the, the man with a withered arm in the synagogue. It's all very well to go and worship in the synagogue, but if you can help that man and bring him healing, then that's what he needs. And so Jesus said, we need to be merciful to the sick, merciful to the social outcasts, merciful to the hungry, merciful to the sick. That's an interesting message, isn't it? Those are the three contexts in which this particular passage is applied by Jesus as a criticism of the religious authorities. And so Christianity represents a greater interest in what's going on in the heart than what we do externally. That's it. The second is important, but the first is more important. And so we too as Christians should exercise that same mercy towards social outcasts, the hungry, and those with uh, physical needs and sicknesses, amongst others. But those are three outstanding examples and it's a challenge to us. Christianity represents a merciful attitude towards people in need and an offer of grace and help to them. My next reflection is around the statement in verse eight, the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus didn't break the Old Testament Sabbath law, but in this statement, he indicated that his lordship might change the Sabbath. And in the long run, that's exactly what happens. Because in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church, the Sabbath commandment is not reissued for the church because the Sabbath day was a covenant sign between God and Israel, not a covenant sign between God and the church. The outward signs of the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, which is called the new covenant by Jesus and others, um, is not the Sabbath. It's baptism, believer's baptism, and communion, the sacrament of breaking bread, or the Eucharist, as it's sometimes known. These are the things that Jesus instituted as the outward signs of the covenant relationship of the new covenant. And so the Sabbath is no longer a law for us. That fourth commandment was never reenacted in the New Testament. And Paul, in particular, warns people against uh, uh, going back to very detailed Sabbath observance. It was still in force in the time of Jesus, and he obeyed it, as this story tells us. 
but it didn't continue into the new covenant. However, the Sabbath principle is based on the fact that God made the heavens and the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh, as we read in Exodus 20. So the pattern of work and rest, the one in seven pattern of work and rest that was instituted in the Jewish Sabbath, is based on creation and not just on the relationship between Israel and God. And so therefore it is wise for us as Christians, even now in the 21st century, to consider how we may balance work and rest and make suitable provision for rest and to rest on a pattern of one in seven days from the main work you do is a good thing to do and something that I would encourage everyone to do if at all possible. But it no longer functions as a religious law with a defined day and defined duties. This is a principle that we can consider how we may apply suitably. My final reflection is to say this is a very good example of religious legalism. Human beings in all societies are very good at creating religious laws and attacking other people on the basis of those religious laws, dividing the world between those on the inside and those on the outside, the good and the bad. But Jesus discourages this. He's much more interested in what's going on in the heart because God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.